and welcome to this Law & Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO of Law & Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law & Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. On today's show, we're going to be covering an exciting project uh, where the law firm Hogan Lovells has been supporting Parasport Against Stigma, a four-year collaborative project that will include a free-to-air broadcast of the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games to 49 sub-Saharan African countries provided by the International Paralympic Committee. Now, this is a project that was led by the IPC with a number of organisations, uh, the Global Disability Innovation Hub, the GDIH, Loughborough University, the University of Malawi, and it was fund, which was uh, funded by UK Aid. Now, this is an exciting project. It's a collaborative project. It's involved many stakeholders. Not only is it about parasport, but it's about what we can do as a community together. Now, to shed some light on this fantastic project, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Yasmin Walji OBE, International Pro Bono Partner at Hogan Lovells, Matthew Knowles, who's counsel at Hogan Lovells and is an international arbitration specialist, um, and his background and involvement in this is particularly interesting. And Victoria Austin, the CEO of the Global Disability Innovation Hub, CIC, and co-director of the World Health Organization's official collaborating centre on assistive technology at UCL. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I wondered if you could, first of all, by giving us some background as to how this project came about. I think this is one for Vicky. Vicky, do you want to go with your overall plan? Because it was fantastic. Sure. I mean, well, first of all, thanks for having us. Um, it's a real delight and a privilege to be able to talk to you about disability sport today, because as much as law and, and the law and sport potentially need to do more work together, I think disability sport is always a forgotten friend in the sports field. So it's great to have the opportunity in the platform to talk about how important it is. Um, I run an organisation called Global Disability Innovation Hub, and we were born out of the London 2012 Paralympic Games. So we came together as a, a bunch of people and partners who delivered London 2012, and I worked for three mayors of London doing that, um, and wanted to deliver a disability legacy, really. So it was with the partners um, that set up the GDI Hub that we had this opportunity to think about how we could use sport to power change around the world. And, and one of those really important ones was Loughborough University. And we realised in London that something had shifted in people's perceptions about disability. And it was actually about more than sport, but it was the power of sport that drew people's attention and got people to think differently about things. I remember the very first time I saw the billboard that Channel 4 had put up outside the Olympic Park. I was walking outside of the Olympic Games. It was closing behind me. We were exhausted. And I thought, I wonder if the Paralympic Games in London is going to have this same feel about it. And I looked up and I saw this billboard and it said, thanks for the warm up. And I thought, okay, we're on, like something different is gonna happen here. We're not gonna be painting a picture of kind of sympathy and, and disability from that perspective. It was about sport and competition and heroes. And London did that. It had more coverage you know, from more countries, more athletes. And we created disabled participants and, and athletes as heroes for the first time. 
And we know that that was really important. And so we wanted to do something to see if it was possible to bring the Paralympics to the territories and the countries, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, where disability prejudice is still quite strong. And, and actually the Paralympics has never been screened. So that was the mission we set for ourselves. And it was up to partners like Yasmin to help us bring it to life. So, so with that, um, it was actually built on an idea that we'd had at the London 2012 Games because like Vicky, we, we as a, a law firm population were incredibly inspired by um, all the work that had gone on. And we, are, um, we were legal advisors through London 2012 for the British Paralympic Association and have since become sponsors. And we also have bursaries for athletes. But actually, for London 2012, through the pro bono practice of Hogan Lovells, we had supported the Haitian Paralympic team um, to get to London to participate. But importantly, as part of that, we had helped seen the impact of televising the Paralympics in Haiti. And what was really interesting from that um, kind of example is that the word sadly in Haitian um, for disability is the same often as associated to being worthless which is which is a stunning kind of awful situation that people have to deal with but we saw over the period of the games just as the impact in London was so strong so it was around um, in Cap Haitian around the hospital where the three athletes who had were performing in London had actually been trained and recovered and 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 been part of that recovery process and we saw in that part of Cap Haitian attitudes began to change people stopped seeing the disability and they saw the sport and the reason they did that was because it was televised it was accessible but the the best thing about it, I think, was that the IPC had helped us effectively buy the TV rights um, for the Paralympics and gift them to the national broadcaster. So that's where the idea for changing perceptions came from. And we thought we would build on it um, through the extraordinary work of the Disability Innovation Hub um, and take that wider to sub-Saharan Africa. Well, first of all, you know, we, we met many years ago. We were just talking about this earlier at the Coaching for Hope event that uh, you guys put on, which was just, uh, again, a fantastic event. And, and and this was something that had been mentioned, uh, which I just thought was absolutely wonderful and brilliant because, you know, it's, it's the, I, you know, it seems to me anyway, it's thinking outside the box. It's doing something. It's having an impact. We talked about... In the past, we've talked about you know developing sports markets, and for me, this is something from a sports law community perspective where you can see this is something that that we're a real opportunity to think differently and go well. What can we do? It will have an impact on a country, on participants, um, and it's not directly going right. We need to get government, f you know, the, you know the traditional stuff of like you know do the sponsorship agreements or um, you know contracts with a football club or stuff like that. Um, can you talk about how you know, you've gone from doing the project from uh, the Haitian project and then how, how, how it did morph into this is a, quite a big project with 49 countries involved. And then, Matthew, might, this might be good from your perspective to, to, to find out how you how you got involved. So I think it, it was it was Vicky's Vicky's approach and partnership approach. Um, which enabled us to do this. And I don't know if Vicky wants to give a background of how we brought the broadcasting and then 
obviously working with Matthew, it's it's not always just about the broadcasting rights. You have to have a long-term legacy on the ground. And that's where Matthew's role came in, um, which we can tell you about. So Global Disability Innovation Hub took the, the pieces of the London story that were transferable. So working with disabled people as leaders at the heart of our projects, um, thinking about how we can further participation and recognition in the positive way of disability, and trying to do uh, projects that are built up from the community to scale. And those kind of principles have informed a project called AT2030, which is a large 50, 40 million pound um, funded program, part funded by UK Aid, to address access to assistive technology for persons with disabilities around the world. So that's wheelchairs, hearing aids, eyeglasses, and such like. About 900 million people currently don't have access to those things around the world. So that, that's about 90% of the people that need them. Um, so that means that nine out of 10 people who need eyeglasses, walking sticks, hearing aids, wheelchairs, can't go to school, can't go to work, can't play a role in their community. And obviously that doesn't make any sense. And especially in a, in a world where we're moving through COVID, we can do better than that, right? We collectively need to do a better job. 802030 is there with 70 plus partners. We've reached 21 million people so far in more than 35 countries. And we're working with people like UNICEF, World Health Organization, big hitters to try and see what works. And so this is our little rebel attempt to see if screening the Paralympics in 49 countries will help shift perceptions and stigma. And I have to give a lot of credit here to Loughborough University, who've designed a programme of research that fits right around this, that's going to be fantastic in terms of telling us what works in this sector. But right now, it, you know, we have this opportunity to bring Paralympics to new audiences, and I, we 100% could not have possibly done that without Hogan Lovells, who, you know, Yasmin has been there with us from the start, helping us make clever and less than silly decisions right since we set up GDI Hub and I can't thank Hogan Lovers enough for being there with, with us. Every contract negotiation, every back-to-back -back grant agreement, every piece of the story we could not have done without Hogan Lovers. So huge thank you from GDI Hub but also the project. I mean Yasmin's own vision comes across as she talks so maybe she wants to pick it up from there in terms of how we brought it to life on this project with many many partners. Um, yeah over to you. Thank you, Vicky. That's very kind. Um, but as always, it's a team effort. Uh, it, it's it's trying to bring it to life, um, trying to support the IPC in its um, aspiration to now link elite sport with the idea of ensuring that everyone has the ability to be included in society, regardless of their, their abilities and their disabilities. But But more importantly, we almost knew from the Haitian example that it wasn't enough just to do the broadcasting and the televising. There needed to be a long-term impact. And, and that's where Matthew might like to talk about what we've been trying to do with the NPCs and that kind of aspect of it too. Uh, absolutely. Thanks very much, Yasmin. And, and uh, this is where uh, Yasmin uh, kindly got me involved. And, and really it's there's been there've been two parts of this the first part has been the lead up to, to Tokyo and then this, the second part which we're really going to be kicking off um, well we've kicked off already but but we'll be continuing to develop over the uh, uh, over the, the, the middle middle medium term will be um, long-term capacity building um, so that the NPCs are supported locally but also with uh, yeah absolutely absolutely 
uh, sorry, yeah, we, we, we've been we've been we've been helping three focus uh, national Paralympic committees um, in the lead up to Tokyo, uh, Ghana, Malawi, and Zambia, and part of that has really just been helping them through some of the logistical challenges around uh, around getting their athletes registered, qualified in, um, for Tokyo. Um, as I'm sure you know, Sean, that there's it's quite a quite a convoluted qualification process. And um, particularly um, given given the pandemic, it's been very difficult for for some of those um, coming from sub-Saharan Africa in particular, um, although I, uh, I'm sure it's been difficult for everybody around the world, but simply to get to qualification events and to get um, so, that, so that they can record the marks that will entitle them to, to come to Tokyo. So although we haven't been able necessarily to help them get to those events, what we have been able to do is to um, assist them through the process of applying for universality wildcards, for bipartite commission um, invitations, um, and, and, and also just making sure then that um, people knew when they had to meet deadlines, what they had to get in, who they had to send things to. Um, it's very much from the citizen's advice perspective that, that, that that's where um, I've been able to help other members of our team for example, um, Alice Whitehead, who's who's done a, an awful lot of work assisting me on this on this part of it, uh, has been able to help. And then, as I said, longer term, um, we as a, as a firm have a have a very good network of African uh, best friend firms, and we will hope that that we'll able to be able to coordinate some of the input longer term. But it's also very very important that they should be um, that those firms are able to partner with their local national Paralympic committees and just provide the ongoing support, the ongoing capacity building that will enable um, this to be a sustainable piece of development um, that, that will have the structures in place that will take the NPCs and more people from the, from the, uh, uh, the teams to, to, to Paris and beyond. And how much of this is so interesting to listen to this? Because could you shed a light on terms of how much of this is really sort of you know legal work that you guys are doing, and how much of it is this sort of logistical and almost you know administrative uh, support that that, that these uh, athletes and individuals need? Because I think from from the legal community at times when people look to uh, you know give pro bono advice as they were, you know or pro bono hours, sometimes it can be perceived that it has to be this sort of like strict. You know, you know, particularly with the younger members, you know, new, you know, other students or um, the newly qualified lawyers who are coming in, they're looking for these very particular roles. Not really, there's actually some of the, this is maybe I'm wrong with my take, so maybe you can clarify this for me, but it seemed to me that a lot of the legal training, it's just, it's great if they can just give support in terms of these other areas which aren't necessarily strictly legal, but the training that the, the lawyer has got can be incredibly powerful for someone who doesn't have that, uh, the assistance they need. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I think the the broadcast rights part of it was was probably, which I wasn't really involved in, was probably a lot more technical. But I think there's there's huge value in lawyers of any age and stage. Uh, the, the training that we get is to, is obviously to, to to read documents very very closely and to work out what needs to happen. Um, 
the law is just the, the law is almost incidental here. It, it's to follow it through and to say, right, in order to get from position A to position B, we need to follow the, the we need to go through the next four steps, whatever those steps might be. Um, and to explain those in very, very simple terms to our clients. And we need to do that in in, in our ordinary paid work um, because our clients, generally speaking, aren't professional lawyers. Sometimes they are, but not always. Um, and, and it's applying those uh, those skills that we can we can do here. We can deploy those um, to assist the NPCs to ensure that they can spend the time that they have and the, and, and the skills that they have in the way that in the way it will benefit their power athletes the best and we can take that load off their shoulders and actually in the countries that we work in so I'll give an example of Sierra Leone where I, I know because my own personal research is based there the National Paralympic Committee in Sierra Leone which is made up of a couple of part-time volunteers provide uh, a formal representation on the government's disability committee and so we're able to provide direct inputs to the government in the, the way it sets its laws and the way it rolls out and implements its policy um, and where it finds that difficult. And because of the issues that we see about recognition and disability, so individuals who are either recognised for their disability in a negative way or the absence of positive recognition of those individuals, participation becomes incredibly limited, both in the political and the non-political arena. So enabling those role models of representation through, through supporting the National Paralympic Committees, I would argue has a really direct role in upholding the, um, the CRPD, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, because as you will know all much better than I, recourse to justice against those kind of large international conventions is incredibly limited at a local level, and even more so if you're a poor disabled person. And so having these kind of linking mechanisms between these kind of broad global frameworks and the day-to-day -day lives of individuals is exactly the sort of fissure and connecting tissue that I would argue it's um, amazing for organisations such as Hogan Lovells to be able to support. And in sport, this is the big topic of the day. <laughs> you know, human rights more broadly is the is what's becoming more. Uh, you know, and and we can just see from all of the global scandals and issues that are taking place the reasons why. And we were talking off the record about all the awful stuff going on in Afghanistan at the moment and the issues that are around that. But you know, we've got the issues with different abuse of athletes and exploitation of athletes around the world. And so, you know, for any lawyer working in the sports sector now, you know, understanding these issues um, uh, proficiently and uh, um, and understanding where they they intersect and, and impact is becoming all the more important. Um, so again, I just I really see this as a as a, as a really good template. I, I really do. I can't emphasize enough. I know we talk about it afterwards, but for all of the people listening, you know, if you're looking and thinking, what opportunities are there for me to participate or contribute to sport in your country? I think um, you know the three of you have just outlined very clearly how you could engage and participate and add value, which is just fantastic. What was some of the um, could you give an indication of what some of the real challenges that you had to overcome, whether it is on the media right side or, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of bring it to life with people? Uh, because the way you describe it, and obviously so eloquently and, and clearly, it sounds quite easy <laughs> from how you described it. It sounds quite like we, we had the plan, we executed the plan, but no doubt that's not the reality. There's a lot of hard work and obstacles to overcome. Can you describe some of them for us? I mean, for, for us, it's about communication and, and trying to trying to bring it together in a coordinated way 
And so it's not just the distinct legal advice on the contracts relating to the broadcasting, but that it's then having the communication with the NGOs who are going to take forward the public advocacy around the Convention on the Rights of the Disabled. And then getting down to the granular, it's often just people are working on crazy time deadlines, trying to bring it together, trying to advise, making sure that it follows uh, coherently as part of the plan. Um, and I'm sure Vicky has many more challenges to have brought all of these parties together because actually the number of people involved, the number of organisations, Loughborough, UK government, GDI, the National Paralympic Committee, the IPC, is probably only the, just the start of the number of people you've had to deal with, Vicky, I imagine. I mean, but also, I mean, I, I remember sitting in with Nicholas in, in Hogan Lovells's a uh, big, big posh office, which um, many of us, uh, it's not our day to day. And having this kind of quite, quite considered debate about what it would mean to people on the ground to actually do this work from the, from the legals through to the impact through to the UK funding case. And it was a real meeting of minds to try and make it happen. So we kind of set a mission for ourselves and then we got together. We were an unlikely gang really of people and we delivered it through. And I think that's a sort of microcosm of exactly what we need at a global scale to make disability inclusion a reality using sport. And so you'll see, I don't know if you saw last week the, the opening ceremony of the Tokyo Paralympic Games, but you'll have seen something called We The 15, which is a huge global campaign, which lit buildings purple around the world um, last Thursday in sequence for 150 big iconic buildings and you'll see it again at the closing ceremony of the Paralympic Games and you may have seen it in between and that this is a marriage between human rights organizations you know operating the law at global national and international level and sport precisely because these are the organizations that need to come together to forge change and it's going to be difficult because if it wasn't difficult it would be done it's going to take more than one organization to do it because if one person could already do it it would be done and you know we can do hard things but we can only do hard things when we work together and so i think this is a really good example of how you might bring together a cast of slightly unlikely characters and set a really clear mission and make it happen which is what we the 15 calling for really do you know that sounds what it sounds exciting sign me up um <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like almost like a uh you know this no this, this is your mission right <laughs> you you've got you you know you made it sound very you're very appealing <laughs> you should do marketing this is your mission you've got two weeks to complete this mission and then off we go but um sold it, it does sound great right but what if we did that right what if we said it's not acceptable to us to have 900 million people unable to go to school or work because they don't have a simple piece of technology. What if we said actually government's charging tariffs on that to import or export doesn't make any sense because it's actually costing us more to deal with the consequences of that than we're receiving in tax revenue. What if we said as a global team, we can make these products cheaper, we can actually make them locally, um, and, you know, this is what we are going to do. And by the time Paris comes around, let's have no tariffs on assistive technology. Let's have, you know, even more athletes able to get there because they can train, because they've got the things that they need to train and let them be examples in their communities. These are not impossible things. We've got yeah. a man on the moon. We're overcoming COVID. Well, we you're making me this. think that as well, because my, my dad was involved in um, 
products to to assist uh, people with uh, visual impairments and and uh, people who are fully fully blind and you know now on the iPhones and on on Android devices they do stuff which 10 15 years ago you had to have these really bulky devices right to, to do the same stuff or now you've got text to speech and everything that's included in Mac OS and, and you know all this type of stuff um so you you do wonder if it's, it's just exactly, and guess who doesn't have access? Yeah, to yeah, exactly, 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 and also then you've got the other thing I thought was really interesting is the the linking it to building infrastructure domestically to you know build up a skill set. Um, expertise and and so forth. So look, your preacher can converted from my perspective. Unfortunately, I, <laughs> I don't have that much influence. But you know, as you say, like everyone can, um, everyone you know, collectively, everyone working collaboratively together can make the difference. Absolutely, and I think what this project has shown that even though these are significant issues that are groundbreaking, global changing, actually we all have a role to play within our own skill sets there is obviously something that we can all bring to bear on this issue. And and at the end of the day, what we are ensuring governments do is implement their legal obligations under the Convention on the Rights of the Disabled. But but it doesn't require us to act on a global level, even within the, our own areas of expertise. We have something valuable that we can give. And it's, it's so interesting, right? Because again, one of the things that we see, I do, we do loads in very, obviously, every area that touches on sport from a legal perspective. And what we end up finding is these type of projects seem to be so fantastic for, um, you know, that that dialogue and, and a better understanding. Because yeah, I remember going to my first event um, with the K, a friend of mine who's a professor down in um, uh, Can it be Christchurch on the UN guiding, uh, was it the UN uh, Sustainability and Development Goals? And for 10 years, I've been working in the sector, never given a thought to them, didn't even understand how they had any impact in terms of what we did. And most other of my colleagues in the profession didn't either. And then all of a sudden you had this sort of, you know, conversation and it's brilliant. And it's with uh, Simon, uh, Simon from um, Simon Rowe from South as well. They, they organised this fantastic, you know, discussion. And all of a sudden it just opened up a new uh you know a new perspective on the world and how things intersect and you had a better understanding of some of the me- mechanics and no doubt this is what this 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 team of you say unlikely suspects is doing right it starts to open up um new opportunities and new ways to solve problems what would you say that that it have there been any surprising lessons from this project obviously you're across so many different areas has there been anything that you find or ever taken away as i guess either something that you've you know, it was unusual or anything that you, if, if not that, um, because obviously you're so proficient at doing this, um, if not that, is there anything that you say, you know, I'm so proud already that, that you know, we, we achieved this, what's your, or both? It's just been extraordinary to see the power of collaboration and and the, the impact that that can have. It can take you into areas which you did, and results that you didn't think were possible. So with the, project that we're currently doing we know i think that it's going to be televised on a large screen in malawi and and that we know will change perceptions and when that happened in haiti we saw the un get involved and build an integrated training sports center where the three athletes that performed in london are now coaches so it's that sense of energy that i think always takes me by surprise is just once it gets moving it's amazing how many people you can get on board and then change areas that you weren't expecting 
for me, I mean, there are some obvious things that are amazing. So watching the five athletes competing in the Tokyo Games this week is, is phenomenal. Knowing that 100,000 school children have received the Impossible um, Schools Training Programme, which is the IPC's um, programme which teaches the Paralympic balance, determination, equality in those schools, and that that will be continued is is again, it's one of the things that you get out of bed for because that makes sense. That's a good thing to do. I think the partnership has brought me so much more than I expected. Um, and I don't just mean the actual legal help. I just mean the, the vision, the input, the collaboration, which you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, to, to receive in terms of so, the... So, so, so on that point then, sorry to rudely interrupt you. Right, I'll go do ahead. it anyway. I've got, got to get better at this as a host. But but the the um the was there a difference between what your expectation was then coming in, just thinking, oh, we're just gonna get, you know, in this project, I'm just gonna get legal advice from these guys, I'm gonna get I oh, know logistic advice from these guys. Was you know, was that something that was um that was in the back of your mind or was having a preconception about where the limits were going to be on the uh, help you could get from the different parties or were you quite open-minded as you came in I think I liked what was said at the beginning so you end up thinking that people come on behalf of an organization and then they bring a set of skills which you in your head have as a stereotype for that organization so so you know our lawyer will join us and they will provide contractual input on a license agreement for a television show. That couldn't be further from the truth. And so people bring their individual motivation and often that comes with the will and the tenacity that Yasmin brings, actually not that often, it's pretty unique. And, um, and so with that comes, you know, a whole rounded set of skills and opinions and views that help shape the future. And I think, you know, for, for younger lawyers working in the team, and we've had some of them working with us, they they also bring kind of the opportunity to hone their skills in, in a very real life environment because real life is really messy. And in my experience, it involves making the decisions about how much risk you want to take. So, you know, how far do you follow to the letter, the, the the advice that you're given and these are real life circumstances which I would posit make them better legal representatives as well as um, being a pretty interesting and exciting thing to work on but you know this is all in service of it's in service of a better world a more inclusive world 1.2 million people in our world are persons with disabilities as defined legally that's a lot of people this is not a minority concern this is every single one of us if we're lucky enough to live to be older and probably everyone's family right now 80 percent of persons with disabilities live in the global south and the global south lives with far fewer resources so any effort we can take towards creating a more positive attitude and environment around disability then as i said before we'll we'll take all sorts of us trying with all of ourselves not just the part of ourselves that has to has a job label next to it. I think that's that's a brilliant point. And and just to say that it's also about our networks. Yes, we're lawyers, but we also have huge networks as well that we can pull on that we didn't really know exist. And and Im importantly, we can also change attitudes within our own business around disability and inclusion. And I think that's another really important part. We are signatures to various different um, business practices and business principles on disability inclusion and we've now got networks across the firm um, supporting people with disabilities or people whose families have disabilities and that's really important to make the read across 
between what we do externally through our pro bono program and through the working with GDI and make that authentic and recognized within the business. I think it's you know, that's such a good. I remember working at a law firm years ago. I tried to set up a discipline athletics club years ago when I was at uni uh, because we were told it was a problem. We tried to do it, and we were so ill-equipped, really, and hadn't done our research. We didn't actually understand the the issues that were. It, there was absolutely a demand for it. That was not the issue. But we had the facility. We got all the equipment, and the big problem that we didn't address was the transport and childcare issues for siblings. <laughs> so, so we had like a whole list of about fifty people who wanted to come, and out of that fifty, no one could come basically for for a whole bunch of different issues. And we realised we had all the best intentions, and it was led by a, gentle, a wonderful gentleman who's working regionally for for Sport England, but. You know, we just got the data wrong, right? We didn't have enough knowledge. And I went to a law firm and it was kind of the same thing. And we're looking at the wrong issues where they were saying, we haven't got enough lawyers with disabilities who work in our organisation. And I, when we got down to it, said, what are you doing to change that? Bear in mind, 50% of the families just in the UK alone with kids with disabilities live in poverty <laughs> and they're not getting funding to go to university and they're certainly if they're not getting funding to go to university they're probably not going to university um they were like they were, well, we put some adverts out <laughs> in some magazines and you thought okay that's great it's great that you're trying to do something but really you're not getting to the heart of the problem so i love this this sort of like you know better that's a long way of saying sometimes even with best intentions our understanding can be quite different from what the reality is and doing these um, projects we had that interaction as you say can be so enriching for an organization and for colleagues and staff um, Matthew from your perspective on the oh sorry Vicky did you want to say I was just going to sort of say I think to that point that the tiny amount of change that you would have needed to make to make that successful shouldn't be negated because the sort of 75 percent of effort that nearly got there is the point and I think here we need to recognize this is you know people talk about massive small manufacturing I mean distributed manufacturing in localized um, delivery at a massive scale. We need massive small action here to make change. We need individuals to take it upon themselves to do great work and then that to be brought together to kind of have that big strong impact. So if you get it 75% right and 25% wrong, someone else can help you just fix it so that you can carry on on the journey. Absolutely. And I think that's yeah, definitely for our lessons from back then when we, we were much younger and the project was that we didn't, Again, being naive, we didn't know the feedback routes, right? To go, we we did feed it back, but we didn't we didn't then didn't follow up as we could have done, right? But partly because we were leaving university, and we're trying to hand over to people and you know these things. But um, I think it's a really great point because it was we done we've done a lot of work there and it wasn't capitalised on. And Matthew, from your perspective, obviously you know being involved in this project seems like so, somewhat different from your day, <laughs> day to day sort of international. I was going for your CV and international <laughs> arbitration or <all of> these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, from your perspective, what what are your takeaways? Um, my takeaways, it's been a privilege to, to be part of it so far, and and we are a few steps along what will hopefully be a very long journey. I mean, it's a journey that I, I'd certainly hope to be involved in to uh, to Paris and beyond. I, we hope that we'll be seeing more uh, more people. Um, from our, our, from Africa generally, certainly from from the NPCs who I've worked with over the last few months in Paris. Uh, we hope we'll see more in LA. We hope we'll see more more in Brisbane. I mean, this this is um, as Vicky and, and Yasmin put it far more eloquently than I do. This is this is about making a better world, a more inclusive world, um, a world where everybody has the opportunities that that we um, have 
taken for granted for for many years um and if we can contribute just a small part of that i, I think lawyers and, and taking vicky's 75 25 point lawyer one thing lawyers are terrible at is thinking that they have to be absolutely right about everything and everything has to be perfect all of the time that's nonsense and and that you have to you have to know every piece of law that you that could possibly apply to any situation to be of any use at all well it's it's just not true if you can make your contribution whether it's a small contribution whether it's a big contribution but as long as it's a positive contribution and just giving you know and whether it's an hour of your time or um as vicky and yasmin do far far more than that um you can help move that dial you can you can actually make a positive difference to somebody's life and the knock-on effect of you making a positive difference to one person's life over time can be massive and hopefully will be massive and uh, said it's humbling to watch um the para athletes who uh, overcome you know I, as, as a fairly average sportsman myself um uh, rolling out of bed to, to to go for a run or, or or to cycle um they are overcoming far far greater challenges um than than we've ever known and they're doing it to a far higher quality than than people like me have ever known um and there are many, many more out there who who just want the opportunity to challenge themselves, to better themselves, to show that they can perform, um, for, whether it's for their village or their country or their continent. Um, and that's what drives me to, 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 be, to what, what drove me to become involved in this. And, and I hope will keep me involved for the foreseeable future. I think you've, you've again raised a great point there, which is the one thing that the sport, where sport is really powerful is that you know mastering a skill overcoming challenges you know having a place where you can show through your actions what you can achieve is the commonality that connects people and i know that there are various are involved in different aspects of sport at different levels and of course we want people to make a living and you know be professional but at the heart of it even with some of the most like the crude commercial people who who are really driven by finances in sport they're still sports fans they've still got that element to them um and you know i'm just thinking you know and it was called out to me and i mentioned this earlier we had ali jawad um um who's who just i think he placed i think it was forgive me if i got it wrong six at the paralympics he put this great post out going like for me that was everything i just i never wanted it i didn't think i was going to get to medal i've overcut he's got crohn's disease as well and uh, and just incredible character and a uh, force of nature in terms of the stuff that he does. And he was speaking on an anti-doping conference that we had. And as we were talking about some of the problems around uh, Paralympic sports, some of the issues being faced, it became very apparent for reflecting on law and sports work that we weren't doing our bit in terms of we talk a really good game and we bring it up for every Paralympic Games that we should do something more and we do work and help the IPC on very we've helped them on job advertisement and stuff like that. But you know, it's something that we're now, you know, from his intervention entering discussions with about right, how can we support international federations to have better understanding, better grasp, better resources, better networks. Um and hopefully we'll 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 have something to announce. Um, in the near future, or if not announce, you know, at least do something, <laughs> right? If we can't announce anything, there's more and more importantly taking action. Um, I, I, there's a, the word you said throughout this, which which I love. Um, it's one of my favourite words, which is collaboration. And I think there's a lot at times the you know in the sports sector more broadly is competitive, and at times in law 
Board of Law is very competitive as well. And at times where there can be raw opportunities for growth, and as and, and Vicky, as you're saying around, you know, it makes much more sense to upskill people, to give them access, to enable them rather than to prohibit them from doing anything by not supporting them. It's much more, it's not as cost effective. Likewise, in the sports sector, globally, we've got a huge way to go to improve its governance standards, its commercial success, its long-term viability. So collaboration is key. In terms of when, you know, given that you've been involved in this successful project and, and you know, I know that you're only at the start of it as such, so, you know, you know but you know, what you've achieved already has been amazing. What do you, well, what advice would you give to people who are looking to work collaboratively together? Because it seems to me that, you know, that you've got uh, a formula here that seems to work quite well. What advice would you give to others? Um, because I know this has been an issue um, for people, particularly in, in Africa, but in other places where they struggle to, to find collaborative partners to work with because they feel like they may be in either competition or you know, the, maybe they're not aligned in terms of the objectives. I'll start and I'll say a couple of things. Firstly, um, we've just done a global review for the World um, Health Organization on innovation and what works on innovation in this disability tech sector. And the conclusion was that open innovation is necessary. So working together, whether you're the big um, leading corporate that already has the contract or whether you're the new innovator that's bringing their brand new invention to market. That connection is necessary for both businesses and the sector. So there's quite a lot of evidence that proves that this, this collaborative approach does work. The second thing I'd say is the advice that I think is really well heeded is advice which puts um, users, you know, participants, people that you hope to reach at the centre of leading the discussion about what's necessary and what's needed, and that can avoid going down too many paths that, that don't become fruitful. But sort of two things to people who are interested in participating. So 15% of the world, 1.2 billion people are people with disabilities. That's a lot, and that's not a small market, and it's a growing market, and it's a market where expansion can be at the benefit of the collective endeavour. So I would say, you know, whether it's 15 hours a month or 15 hours a year you can give, there needs to be a better mechanism for catching that volunteering opportunity, I think. And maybe we could collectively think of what that might be. But but I would make that contribution and I would think about, you know, when I'm in 10 years time, when I'm looking back on Paris and L.A. and Brisbane, what do I want to tell my kids I did to try and ensure that disability inclusion was more of a reality for more people than it currently is? I, the advice I'd give to particularly law firms is that there are many sporting organisations out there um, supporting the growth of an access to sport and inclusion. And it's just about finding partners that you can work with, charities that you can work with, even at a local level. And that starts to broaden your horizons as to what you can achieve with that group or that sporting organisation. There are so there's so much need out there for the skill set that we have as commercial lawyers that we can give as part of our pro bono or CSR programs that actually it shouldn't be hard to find those collaborations. Um, and for the sporting organisations, I would say the other way around is one of the best examples I've seen is with the British Paralympic Association, where they have gathered their corporate sponsors around the table at once, like GDI, and have the sponsors and the people that support them talk, 
just talk about the issues that the sporting organisation is, is facing because you never know where that solution is going to come from. It might actually come out of your lawyers or it might come out of your accountants. It, it's really interesting to see the levels of networking that we can create holistically around an organisation to help it grow. Absolutely. And, and no doubt as well, it's not just about what you're what you're putting out is what you're getting back so when someone finds a solution and maybe you've got a solution in your business or in your team you can apply that uh to your own day-to-day -day or to your colleague day-to-day -day, again which is enriching for your organization uh matthew i mean just at a, at a very more granular level i mean it's an incredibly from from an individual lawyer's perspective everybody's got targets and particularly there's always the tyranny of the billable hour and people feel that they that they can't necessarily spare the time because they because they've got to do this piece of work or that piece of work or hit de that deadline or this deadline um, and it's something that I certainly struggled with during um, a lot of my earlier career um, but when you have that opportunity take it and it's remarkably easy then to find the time to do it even you know even with to, to balance with families you, you can look at it as a responsibility if you want you can just look at it as an opportunity for for personal development for, for supporting projects whether it's in sports or whether it's uh, somewhere else in the community that that really matter to you um it, it it does actually make it better getting out and thinking i'm doing my paid job yes and, and hopefully i'm doing a reasonable job for my clients on that as well and no doubt they'll tell me if i'm not but also, um, also give it giving back um, to the community, um, whether that's your local community or the international community, and, and just just trying to make things a little bit better. That's that's really it's a really important part of our role as lawyers, um, our responsibility as lawyers, and our, I think it sounds terribly pompous, but our responsibility as humans. Um, yeah, well, I couldn't agree more uh, on that front. Um, it's not nice to have. I think it's a requirement that everyone should do. Personally, I'm quite extreme on this uh, in terms of my views on this. But I just think it's something that, you know, when we, you know, even when, you know, we work with some of the top sports organisations in the world and top law firms in the world on recruitment, um, you know, and often we get here this issue that people are struggling to find the right talent. And, you know, now there is more of a quest to find, and rightly so, and encouraging so. There's now actually, again, we want more diverse people. And that means not just more diverse people from the obvious ones, but it's also diverse people from their experiences. And this is one of the best ways to get diverse experiences that makes you really interesting uh, you know, and, and, and as you say, grow personally and professionally. So you've got this you know, unique skill set that you can apply um, to your client base. And uh, if there's any, um, and the one thing I'll say is anyone listening, if you wanted them to be involved in any way or support, um, what, what, what can they do, basically? What action can they email some? Yeah, you can, you, can, you can get in touch with GDI Hub. You can follow us on social media. You can also follow the We The 15 campaign um, right. on social media. And there's quite a lot going on this week. Um, so, yeah, if you feel like you've got something to contribute, we'd be really happy to hear from you. Fantastic. And thank you all again for the amazing work that you're doing. It's a fantastic project. It's hopefully going to have a long lasting impact on so many people. So thank you again for giving up your time today to be on the podcast. And for our listeners, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do tell people about it. 
Um, remember, for all the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawinsport.com. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Um, and obviously sign up to our weekly email if you haven't already. And wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is, I hope you have a wonderful day. And thanks for your support and for tuning in.